You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. So let's look at this. God is absolutely love. This is a very simple statement, but perhaps it is the most profound. We are moral beings, and so this is the total sum of his moral attributes. So in everything that we could describe of God, whether he is merciful, whether he is gracious, whether he is just, whether he is kind, whatever moral attribute that you want to ascribe to God, it is summed up in this phrase, God is love. And it's because of his love that he is merciful and that he is gracious and that he is fair. Amen. And all those things that you would apply to the Lord. Kindness. Amen. But note this, that we are not going to say this tonight, and that's this, that we are not saying that God is loving, lovable, or lovely, but what we are saying is that God is love. Now, God is loving, and He is lovable. And he is love, loving, uh, uh, lovely, okay? But that's not what we're saying. The Bible says God is love. And so what does that mean? What does that say? Well, it speaks not of the behavior, but it speaks of the source of his being, okay? So we're going to unfold this. We're going to look at that. But if, if there was something I'd want you to catch, um, this is not the behavior of God, but it's the essence, the source of God, okay? So that's, that would sort of be a big thing there. All right, so let's go on. This is the sum of all of his moral attributes. And we could take this concept of love scripturally, and we could divide it into several categories. There are two different types of love that are spoken about, and sometimes you'll hear this referred to the... Uh, uh, Phileo love, which is the friendship or the brotherly love, and then the agape love, which is the full love. And you've heard that talked about all the time. But tonight we are focusing upon that agape love, that full love, the full capacity of love. And in that agape love, there are two categories of love, two specific categories of love. And here they are. The first is one of motivation. It is motivation love. And the second is responding love. And these are important for you to grasp. Very elementary at this, at this point. But it's very critical for us to grasp. So the Bible will define this for us and it will speak about this for us and speak to us on this behalf. There are two things. The first, obviously, as we'll see, only applies to the Lord, to God, to deity. The second, amen, is where we find ourselves. We are not a man at point one. We can't ever be at point one. There's no way possible for us to be there. And so we're looking at these two different types of love. The first is motivation love. The second is responding love. Let's go to a few verses of Scripture here, and we're going to illustrate this. Number one, let's go to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19. One very simple verse, but here... John tells us of our love and his love, and so it has both of them here. And he says this. He says, we love him because he first loved us. And so he lets us know that any love that we have for God is a response to God first loving us. So now if we go back and we look at the eternality of God and we look at the extents of that, we obviously are finite, we're created, and so God predates us. So how could we ever have motivating love? Because any love that we express is going to be a response that was first expressed to us. So we love Him because He first loved us. The love that God is can never be classified as responsive love. So when you read Scripture and you read about God loving you, it's not the same 
as us loving God or us loving somebody else or loving a friend or even loving a family member uh, in that way because God's love is never responsive. God does, he's not that way. He does not love us because we love him. Okay? Now, sometimes we impose that concept and definition upon God. And when we do, the devil gets a foothold in our life. If we think that God loves us in response to our love to him, guess what? Then when I don't love him, see where I'm going? We also think that he's not going to love me. And that's not the Bible. That's not scriptural. That's not the revelation. That's not what the word of God is saying. God is love. And God's never in a responsive love category. He is, he is in essence, motivating love. So if you want to write that down, he is motivating love. That's who he is. God is love. So he's the source. He's not the behavior. He's the source of all love. Any love, any love that is good of anything is an extension of the love of God. That's why it's so dangerous when you walk away from the Lord. That's why it's so dangerous because you're walking away from that source. He does not love us because of our redeeming qualities. I think I said this Sunday morning when I was preaching. He did not die for us because we were worth something. He doesn't love us because of our redeeming qualities. Okay? So if you feel like God doesn't love you in here and you say, well, and, and you, you can't say, okay, I'm not like, I know that there are people here tonight under the sound of my voice that feel like God loves other people in this same room more than God loves them. And I'm here to tell you that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. Because God is love. It's not possible for him to have responsive love. He does not love us because of our redeeming qualities. But we love him because of his redeemer quality. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. He doesn't love us because of our redeeming qualities. We have no redeeming qualities. But we definitely love him because he is a redeemer. So we are the ones that are in responsive love. God is not in responsive love. So right now, before we go any farther, if you feel that God doesn't love you because you made a mistake on Monday, or you made a mistake on Tuesday, or since the last time it was that you prayed through, I've got a news flash for you. I got a revelation. God loves you right now just as much as he has ever loved you. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty good news, folks. That's great news to know. But the devil is a liar. Come on, the devil is a liar. There are many people out there that feel like God can't love me. I can't tell you how many times I've been in the altar praying with somebody, seeking the Holy Ghost, or in repentance, and they'll look at me, Brother Cobb, and say, well, I, just, I just don't think. I'll ask them, have you repented? Have you ever been baptized? Do you believe that you can receive the Holy Ghost? And they'll say, I just don't believe that God could ever love me after the things that I have done. Well, they need a revelation of God. They need a revelation of who God is. And can I tell you, we need a revelation of who God is. Hallelujah. In our life. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So ours is responsive love. His is the motivating love. So this brings up the, this scripture here. We love him because he first loved us. This concept of motivating love and responding love. This brings up the great distinction, okay, that we have between love and that which is intended to manipulate. Hear me. There is a distinction between love and that which is intended to manipulate. That which is intended to manipulate is often what the world calls love. And it's not love. God just is love. He loves us. We love him in response to that love. 
That's why we can sing songs like, oh, how I love Jesus, because he first loved me. I love him. How can I not love him? When I find out that he loves me, how can I not love a God like that? How can you not love a God like that? But often what we call love in the secular, in the carnal, is something that is intended to manipulate for our gain or for our pleasure. But love, that's not love. Love is, is, is defined by who God is. Okay, so let's, let's explore this a little bit farther. Love never includes pouring out affection or gifts in order to manipulate a response of adoration. Okay? Now, we'll do things for people because we want them to like us. That is a manipulative. There is a, there is a you could say, well, maybe it's not bad because I, I, I do things for my children or I do things for my family or I do things for my friends because I do want them to like me. Amen. And it's not an evil sense in the, in, in the sense of, of being manipulative in that concept, but we are doing it looking for a response. You see, see what that is? We're doing it looking for a response. And, of course, if we are only operating in that realm, stay with me, when you don't get the response that you want, is this all right? Are you with me? I want to make sure you, I'm not making this too complicated. If you're giving gifts or you're, you're bestowing whatever it is upon somebody with the intent to receive that affection, if you don't get that adoration or that affection back, that love that we're calling love is, is, is actually a feeling intended to manipulate. What happens? You stop doing that or you stop the relationship with that person and you go to someone else or somewhere else where you do get a return on the investment. You might understand what I'm saying. Okay, so we call that love often, but according to the biblical definition of who God is, that's not who God is, and that's not love. Now, does God want us to worship Him and love Him? Absolutely. But you know why? Because He's truth. He's the only thing that exists. He's the only thing wonderful. And He wants us to be in our right mind. And if we're in our right mind, we're going to say, you're the only thing that's wonderful. So He wants us to do that. But God is love. And that means that if we never adore Him, if we never worship Him, if we never return affection, he doesn't stop loving. He just keeps on loving us. No matter how bad we are or how much we rebel against him, he still loves us. That is love, folks. That's greater than anything that this world could ever know. Amen. Such self-serving giving is but a vile corruption of the lowest form of love. But God is the motivator of love. This is how Jesus could bring such a radical idea to the Jews. When in Matthew chapter number 5, and let's look at a few verses of scripture here, he brings to them a new concept. He's quoting now Leviticus. In Matthew 5 on the Sermon on the Mount, he's going to invoke the, the law from the, from the book of Leviticus and in Leviticus, it says that you should love, you should not do any harm to a stranger among you, but you should love all of your kindred. And then it goes on, and to fulfill it, he says, love thy neighbor as thyself. So he's speaking now to an interpretation of Leviticus. They, the Jews had looked at Leviticus and said, all right, in here, it's speaking to the community that I'm around. And I'm going to love people that are my own. I'm going to love other Hebrews. I'm going to love other Israelites, if you will. But I'm not going to love anybody else. Because that's what Leviticus says, love the Hebrews. But then Leviticus goes on as the extension. It says, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And so they interpreted it, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Who's your neighbor? Well, neighbor is only people that have my same, uh, uh, they're my same kind of tribe, if you will. 
And uh, so I'm going to love them. Anybody else, I'm going to hate, and it's okay. And I'm still okay by the law. So here's what he says. You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, watch this. This is radical. This is not love that is intended to manipulate for a response. But look at what he says. Love your enemies. Now, who in their right mind would love their enemies? God. <laughs> All right? Now, if this steps on your toes tonight, please don't throw apples at me or rotten tomatoes at me. This is in the Bible tonight, okay? Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Go on. That ye may be, here it is, the children of your Father which is in heaven. Why? Because he makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. Hello, God is love. But they don't love him back. That's okay. I'm still going to send the sun. I'm still going to send the rain. I'm still going to provide for them. I'm still going to give them life. I'm not going to snuff them out. I'm still going to let them live on. Amen. David asked, why does the heathen rage? Why am I here, God, and the heathen still out there doing all those things? You know why? Because God is love. It's just who he is. And he goes on. And he says, for if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same. Go on. And here are the next two verses. And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so. And then here it is. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. You see that? You see that? That's a whole different concept on love than that which is just intended to manipulate, that which is just intended to rise a response. Real love does not search for a response. Can I get an amen? All right. I hope I'm not boring you tonight. Well, there's two of you. I'm not boring. Amen. Real love does not depend upon response. Folks, this is what's wrong with our world. Our world doesn't know what love is. Love is promoted all the time. And I'm going to tell you who it's affecting most is our young people. This concept of love. Detrimental. It's destructive. And then they get out there and they don't even know what love is. And they throw the word around. We love each other. No, you don't love each other. You don't, you don't, there's no way, you know. And all that, and it ruins people. It ruins people. So here's, here, here's, here's what God is trying to help us with. Real love does not depend upon response. And, and, and we have to have that revelation inside of our life, folks. God loves us. That's the most powerful, revolutionary revelation that you could ever get a hold of. That's why we saved it for number eight. That's why. Because it's the most wonderful, beautiful thing. The eternal, omnipresent, omniscient, all-knowing, sovereign, immutable, absolute God loves me. Little old me. I'm nothing. That's God. That's the kind of God that I serve. I don't know about you, but right there, that's enough to write a new song every day for eternity because of the love of God. Hallelujah. Amen. Love, the love that derives itself from the love that God is, is an end in itself. God is love. It's who he is. And so he loves. That's just who he is. And why should we also love? Because it should become who we are. It's a disconnect there sometimes. And this is hard. This is hard for anybody, folks. I did not like this when I saw this part in Scripture. And I'm just being honest. It's been, it's been a long time, but I remember when I saw this, wow, okay. So I have to. If I am like Christ, I have to have love in my heart. 
doesn't mean that it's tolerance for evil or iniquity. It doesn't mean that I excuse sin, but there ought to be love in my heart for every single human being in my life. And I don't think there's one of us in here that could say we've never wrestled with that issue because every single one of us have wrestled with justifying why we don't like someone or something. Oh, it gets quiet on Wednesday night sometimes. And I'm preaching to myself. And oh, how God has to wrestle with us and bring us back. I'm going to tell you, but you can't come back. You can't embrace the love of God. (laughs) You can't embrace and accept the love of God again without acknowledging, okay, God, I'm nothing. I'm no greater than the worst person that I hate. I'm no greater, God, than the lowest person that I've ever, that I've ever uh, 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 thought evil things against. God, I'm no greater than that. And yet you loved me. And so, because it's just who you are. And Lord, if you love, then I've got to love. I, I don't know that I'm there yet. Can I just be honest, church? I don't know that I'm there yet. He's still working on me. But I don't know about you, but I want to get there. Why? Because I want to be perfected even as our Father, which is in heaven, is perfective. Amen. We'll talk more on that later. It is also important to discover that love is not an emotional response to stimulation. Love, according to the Bible, is not an emotional response to stimulation, to some kind of peaking of some kind of a pleasure system in our mind, in our spirit, in our soul. And so we we use that word so casually and 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 uh, carelessly if you will oh i just love that I, I mean we're all and we understand what we're saying but when we come down to talking about love love in fact is so beautifully described in scripture but it is not an emotion at all love is not an emotion and we use love as a feeling. We describe it as a feeling. So I'm, I'm not getting very far here tonight um, on my notes, and I'm trying to get through all of these pages tonight, but this, we're going to get down to where the rubber meets the road because we use this, this impact. Can I tell you, the reason, one of the reasons why we have so much trouble in our marriages, even within the church, is because we don't have a biblical revelation of what love is. And apostolic, let me say this, even apostolic people are getting married today in this age without an understanding, a revelation of what love is. And they're not, they're building their relationships on the wrong thing. This is the greatest thing that we can get a hold of in our life. Love is not an emotion. In fact, let's look at scripture. It is a will. And it is an action based upon that will. So if love is two things, we would say this. It is a will and it is an action based upon that will. So love applied is an act of the will. So when love is applied to our life, it becomes an act of the will. Amen. So to better understand it, we can look at the contrast between the ultimate of a love available from a human being and the love that derives itself from that which is of God. So we're going to go to two passages of Scripture. The first is going to be in the Gospel of John, chapter number 15, and verse number 13. Christ says this about love. In John, if you can go to the next slide, John 15 and 13, he said this. Okay, love is not an emotion. It is is an action. It is a willing and an action, if you will. Willfulness and an action. And so here's what he says. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. Okay? So he, now watch what he says. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. So man, humanity, can have no greater love than the love that Christ talks about here. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. We just read Jesus commanding us to love our enemies. Well, I'm going to tell you, you can't love your enemies <laughs> in the human realm. 
The only way you can love your enemies is when the love of God gets inside of your soul and inside of your spirit. Amen? Amen. So we need the omnipresent God. We need that eternal God to be present in us. It's okay. He's going to survive. He'll be all right. He doesn't think so, but he's going to survive. Amen. He thinks that people have to be talking to him all the time and has to be held all the time, and he doesn't like sitting down. He doesn't, that's what it was. He didn't want her to sit down. So, Got, it. Got your number, son. <laughs> Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friend. So here's what he's saying. You can't, you can't love. Let's, let's go to Romans. Let, let's, let's look at this. This will maybe expound a little bit more. Romans 5 and 7. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet preadventure for a good man some would even dare to die. Okay? So scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Maybe for a good man some would dare to die, but that's about the extent of it. Man does not just go and lay his down, his life down for an evil person. Man doesn't just give himself, you understand what I'm saying? Man just doesn't do that in our human form, in our natural form. There's no way that we would do that. And, and, and we would call those that die for the righteous or the innocent, we would call those heroes. And we would, we would hail them as heroes. Man can originate no greater love than that, okay? But the love that God has is a love that is so far beyond that. In fact, the Bible says it's past knowledge. It's past and beyond our knowledge. Go to Romans chapter number 5, 6 and 8 now, and let's look at this. He says, for when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Hallelujah. He died for the ungodly. That's what he was saying. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet preadventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love towards us in, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Hallelujah. That is the love of God. The love of man only goes as deep as we may say, there's someone so great, so honorable, so incredible that I will give my life for, or we'll give our life for our innocent children, or we'll give our life for our families who we think are perfected. We'll go out and we'll give our life. But we don't go lay our life down. No one goes to war. Amen. To die over evil, wicked men. To die over sinners. You understand what I'm saying? But this is, what, this is what Paul is trying to tell the Romans. But God's love is so much greater than man's love. Because while we were yet sinners, murderers, terrorists, liars, fornicators, cheats, amen. All of that, while we, that was while we were, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He laid his life down. Not saying, hey, they're righteous. Hey, they're good. Hey, they're great. No, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's how great the love of God is. Ephesians chapter 3, 17 through 19. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ. Here it is. We can know the love of Christ. See what he's saying? We can know it. We can know the love of Christ, but it passes knowledge. It's beyond our knowledge. We can't exhaust the love of Christ. We can't totally figure it. We can know it, but it's beyond our knowledge that ye <clears throat> might be filled with all the fullness of God. Look at that last phrase that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. When he invited us to love our enemies, he was inviting us to a spiritual state that is way beyond the natural. He was inviting us 
to take on the posture of the eternal, awesome, omnipresent God in our life. And when the fullness of God, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God, when the Godhead is understood not only in our hearts, in our minds, but in our hearts, and it's manifest, what's going to be manifest in there? Nothing more than love. All right? If we really, don't, don't you stand and say, bless God, I know who God is, and carry hatred in your heart. Don't stand up and wear doctrine on your sleeve like you're some great giant and champion if you don't have love in your heart. Because he says, if you don't have love in your heart, you're not filled with the fullness of God. And in fact, he didn't say, this is how you're going to know my disciples. They go around saying, there's one God. No, he's going to say, they're going to know there's one God, but they're going to then let that one omnipresent, eternal, everlasting God be inside of their heart, manifesting what? The love of God and the fullness of God is going to be inside of them. Oh, hallelujah. I need the love of God in my life. So the love of God, amen, it's beyond knowledge, amen. To make a greater distinction, let's look at it this way. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and here's where the apostle speaks to us. And he gives us some things that he's going to highlight. These do not exemplify, amen, the love that is of God. God is love, okay? So that's where we're at. That's what we're talking about. It's a motivating love. God's love is apart from speaking with the tongues of men and of angels, for it is possible to do that and not have love in your heart. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. It is apart from the spiritual, amen, endowments and power. So you could say, well, bless God, I'm so supernaturally powerful, gifted, I can speak and uh, lights go on and off. Well, God bless you. That's great. I hope you need that sometime when you don't pay your electric bill. <laughs> hope you can remember that. Amen. But if you don't have a love in your heart, isn't that what it says? Go to the next verse. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and though I have all faith, hear it so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Do I believe we ought to have faith? Absolutely. Do I believe we ought to exercise it? Absolutely. We ought to cast out demons. We ought to move mountains. We ought to let the power of the Holy Ghost move among us. But if we do all of that and we have not love, the Bible says we are nothing. Can I just make a statement here? We've got to be careful as apostolics and Pentecostals that we do not chase so hard after the phenomenon of Pentecost that we miss the point of Pentecost. And the point of Pentecost is the love of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I want the power of the Holy Ghost. I want the acts of the apostles to work among us, but not at the expense of love. And if love is not in the church, if love, can I, just, can I just say, if love is not in the church house, he says, by this you will know that they are my disciples, that they have love one for another. God, forgive me if I can't have love one for another. I don't care how many people you pray through the Holy Ghost. I don't care how many devils you cast out. If you can't have love in your heart, hallelujah. It's a part, it's beyond all of the great things that you can do, all the people that you can bless, giving your own body for a sacrifice. You can feed the poor. Social gospel falls short. And a lot of people preach a social gospel. Now, that's not to be confused with being involved in the social world. We are. We feed the poor. We help people. Amen. We help those hurting. We send relief to those that are Messed up. We spent a lot of time focusing on that. We help those, amen, that are hurting. And we're not looking for anything else. That's why we are part of Convoy of Hope. 
We're going to feed them. We're going to put shoes on their back. And it doesn't matter if they like us. It doesn't matter if they pay attention to us. It doesn't matter what. We're just going to be out there in the community and be the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. But you can do all of that. And if you do all that without love, guess what? He says, and though, amen, I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, isn't that what he says? And have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Amen. Amen. It profiteth me nothing. We've got to have love, folks. We've got to have love in our church. We've got to have love in the body of Christ. We've got to have love in our life. Why? Because I want to be filled with all the fullness of God inside of my life. Amen. So, so if love, love is this important to God, we shouldn't skip over it in our life. Amen. So when we look at all these things, it's impossible for us to attribute love to just some kind of emotion or some kind of a feeling. Well, that, that's not what love is talking about. So the motive, the motive and the will. Love is the motive. Love, the motive, is the willingness to sacrifice whatever is necessary to provide the needs of the object of that love. Love, the action of the will, is the actual sacrificing what is as necessary to provide the needs of the object of that love. And so this is, I, I preached, as a couple months ago, I made reference to an article that um, NPR interview, I think it was, who was the atheist that was traveling? I think it was, uh, was it Hitchens or Dawkins? I can't remember which one it was. It was traveling the country, uh, or Hawkins. Huh? Was it Hawkins? Okay, it was Hawkins, okay. And he was traveling the country, and NPR was doing an interview with him, and, and major props to the journalist at NPR that was questioning him. And he kept saying, Mr. Hawkins, isn't it interesting that whenever there's a tragedy in the world, there's somebody of faith, there's a believer in God that's the first one on the scene to help people, but there's no atheists that are there. <laughs> He did not like that question. He pushed back for a long time. And finally he said, well, we atheists are doing a good thing. In fact, and the only organization that Stephen Hawking, the most renowned contemporary atheist in the world, the only organization that was purely atheistic, that was helping people in the world in humanitarian aids, the organization that he cited is an organization and their humanitarian efforts are helping people who used to believe in God come out of believing in God. And he said that is helping other people. But the man kept pushing it, said, well, sir, at every war zone, at every flood, at every tsunami, it's always believers in God that are the first ones that are there. It's always the church that is there. And I thank God that that man at least acknowledged the facts. Amen. Why is it that the church is always on the scene? Why is it that the church will always be on the scene? Because it's the church that understands. Amen. That I'm not doing this so that I can be seen of men. I'm not doing this so that we can increase our pockets. We're doing this. Why? Because we have a revelation that God is love. He's love. He loved me while I was nothing. And I don't know if it's going to help this person today or not, but you know what? I'm going to love them in spite of who they are. And the church goes there and gives their life. Amen for that. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful to be a part of the church. I'm proud to be a part of the church. Don't let anybody talk to the church. The church isn't perfect. The church is messed up. Yeah, that's, that's right. We're a whole bunch of sinners that are coming to God saying we need redemptive salvation inside of our life. But I am proud to be a part, amen, of the people that are at least trying their best to become like God in their heart. Thank the Lord for that. Amen. Clap your hands unto the Lord tonight. Hallelujah. Okay. So the emotion that we call love will always follow, but it will never lead to true love because true love is something that's absolutely motivated by God. And that's the only way we can do that. Now, we are, even our loving somebody that's unlovable, that we would say, unlovable, is a response based on God loving me first. You catch that? So I can never have motivating love. It's always responding love. So if I dedicate my life 
to going to the far reaches of the world to help people in need. The only reason why I'm doing that is because I have a revelation that God loved me while I was yet sinner. So I'm still acting in response of love, but I'm being an extension of the love of God. And I am loving those who may, can never return that love back to me. Amen. But the heart of the emotion follows the placing of the treasure, the act of the will. And so um, in the word, we are commanded to love, even and especially when there is no appropriate emotional circumstances like love your enemy. So love is not an emotion. Love is not a feeling, but it is an action. It is a will. Love. So God commands us to love your enemy. You can't say, well, I don't feel like it. Because feeling has nothing to do with it. Is that okay? I don't have time to exhaust this, and that's in our notes later on. But there's a lot of other places and other things that God tells us to love. People say, well, I don't feel like it anymore. And so all of a sudden they stop loving. It's because they don't have an understanding of what love really is. We need an understanding of what love is, is. If you have your Bibles, I want you to take your Bibles, and I want you to open them to 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. And we read the first three verses, but we're going to read the remainder part here. As we try to wrap this up tonight, and I'm going to have Sister Monica put a, the next slide up as a chart. I don't know if you'll be able to see that chart fully in its entirety. I hope you can. If you can't, uh, I'm sorry. Maybe take a picture, zoom in, whatever. But this is 16 attributes that are listed about love in 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. And if you'll see, there are affirmatives and there are negatives. Now, the negatives is not in the negative sense, in, in the sense that love is negative, but it's showing the negative component. So love is not negative. There's no negative attribute, I guess you could say, of love. But it's showing what love is not. And why, by establishing what it does and what it does not do, it's giving us the portrait of what love is. It's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. Although those things are there. When I love God, amen, I do, I am, an, I am an emotional creature. He created us emotional beings. We are emotional, so I do have an emotional response. When I love somebody that's not even going to love me back, I still have an emotion inside of my heart. And so I want you to just leave that up there, but let's follow along and let's read here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we're going to see these. There's eight, eight affirmatives and eight negatives. And so here's what it says. You can follow along on the chart up there, but charity or love, suffereth long, and is kind. That's the second thing. And then he gives us eight things that it is not. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly. By the way, this would be a good thing for people to take and post off, sometimes I think right next to their computer or their phone, and say, if it doesn't fall in these categories, we're not going to enter into this kind of a, a, a action or statements on the internet. This is what charity does not do. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Folks, the world is easily provoked. But charity is not easily provoked. Charity thinketh no evil. Charity rejoiceth not in iniquity. You don't rejoice in iniquity in others' lives. But rejoiceth. In the truth, it beareth all things, it believeth all things, it hopeth all things. Amen. Don't be negative all the time. Get some love in your heart. Amen. It believeth all things, it hopeth all things. Amen. Endureth all things. Charity endures all things. Folks, we need more love. Amen, because we need more endurance. Amen. First storm that comes along, all of a sudden, well, we're not in love anymore. I don't love him anymore. I don't love this anymore. That, and that means that you never had love in the first place because true love endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall Vanish away. And then in verse 13 he says, And now abideth. Now abide. It's still here. Faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. Love. That's love. That's what love is. 
We need more love in the church. We need more love in our heart. You need more love in your soul. I need more love in my spirit. I need more love in my mind. I need more love in my home. We need more true love in our families. We need more true love in our marriages. We need more true love in the world. Amen? I think I've gone too long. I don't want to cheat this. Amen? All right, what time is it? We are there. Stand together with me. I don't know. We, we may come back again and finish this next week. Love, love. We've got to have a revelation of the love of God. Since God is love, we're going to go to 1 John. We're going to close off with 1 John. It's not on the slides. We're going to go to 1 John eventually here, chapter number 4, in just a moment. So we'll close with your Bibles open if you have them. But God is love, and love, true love, real love, genuine love, can only be the product of God in us. Okay? Only be the product of God in us. It is not, definitely not, the fruit of the saint, but it is the fruit of the Spirit. Love cannot be produced by religion. Can I say that again? Love cannot be produced by religion. That's why we've got to have the Spirit of Almighty God. We've got to have the Spirit of Almighty God. Amen. And when love that is of God is produced in us, we are full of different perspectives and purposes. So let's go to 1 John chapter number 4 and verse number 7. 1 John chapter number 4 and verse number 7, and we'll read all the way down to chapter number 5. Here it is. Beloved, let us love one another. Amen. Let's read this verse together. This is too good, amen, not to go home with this. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. You need to take those two verses, you need to memorize those, you need to put those in, the, in it, cement those in the foundations of your mind, and let this be your guide, let this be your conscience, Amen. Whether or not, how far you get, amen. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And I can tell you by experience, you don't always just operate at high octane love. Sometimes in life, you go through life and you can, your, your spirituality is not where it needs to be. And one of the first modes, one of the first measures that you're going to realize is when you cease to have love for other people inside of your heart. Can I get a witness? And you realize, hey, God, that's not like me. I, I need the Holy Ghost. I need the Spirit of God. Amen. I believe that when the Holy Ghost is alive and well inside of you, that it takes care of road rage. Come on. Anybody in here honest enough to say, hey, I've been guilty of that sometimes. I've been guilty of a little bit of, how dare you cut me off. All right? You understand what I'm saying, though? Why, why let yourself be eaten up with that? I'm never going to see that person again. God protect them because they're, they're probably not going to, if they keep driving like that, they may not, their days may be numbered. But I'm not going to, don't let me emotionally get caught up in that. Amen. Don't let me get, I'm, I'm belaboring the point here. Let's go on. In this was manifest the love of God toward us because, here it is, it was manifest toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, no, but that he loved us. Okay, folks, you see that? All right. He loved us. Herein is the love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us, sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, then we ought also to love one another. If God loved me while I was a yet sinner, then how much, and that means that God loves you while you're yet a sinner. And so if you're still a sinner and God loves you, then I ought to love you. Why? Because God loves you. Hallelujah. Amen. I know this isn't popular preaching, but it's a good word. No man has seen God at any time. Why? We already talked about that. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. 
Note this, folks. This is, the last, this is one of the last things that John writes before he dies. And he didn't say, now you ought to speak in tongues every day. Peter, Paul said, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. What he was saying was, y'all need to speak in tongues a whole lot more. But John did not say, you're known to be a disciple of Christ because of how long you speak in tongues every day. No, he said, it's known, amen, herein is the love of God uh, 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 if we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. And it's a fruit of the spirit. And so when I cease to have love in my heart, I run back to an altar, repent, and say, okay, God, i got to get something right. Because something's off. There's something off in the balance of my soul. And I need the love of God inside of my spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Here it is. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, dwelleth in him and he in God. And we have known and believed that love the love that God hath to us, God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. I don't know if you're getting the point. John's saying there's no way around this. You can't get around this and call yourself a disciple of God. Amen. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Here it is. Now, this is powerful. There is no Fear in love, but perfect love casteth out all fear because fear hath torment. The devil can't lie to you. When you've got a revelation of God's love, the devil can't lie to you and say, I know what you did last week, and God doesn't love you today. No, uh-uh. I know what I did last week also, but I know the love of God is greater and that he still loves me today just as much as he did back then, and I can have boldness before God in the day of judgment that he loves me. Amen. He that is feareth is not made perfect in love. So if you're carrying fears and worries and anxieties, you need a revelation of the love of God in your life. Because God loves you. You don't have to fear about anything. Lucas cries when he can't see us in the room. He wants both Janelle and I there. He wants us both together. And when we're together, everything's all right because he thinks somehow that we're just going to provide everything for him like we do. Amen. Can I tell you, when you get a revelation of the love of God and the nearness of God, all fear goes away. Why? Because I got the all-powerful, all-knowing, eternal, everlasting God. Amen. In heaven and earth, right here at my side, watching out for me. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him. That he who loveth God, love his brother also. Whosoever believeth that Jesus Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love, that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. In the last verse, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not Grievous. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for the love of God. We need the love of God in our life. Can we lift our hands toward the Lord tonight? God, I thank you for the power of